The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Now, I just need to mention right up the top here, Charlie, yes. that uh, we often do a segment at the top of the show called What's Podcast Mike Wearing? Yeah. And last week, we skipped straight into the episode, didn't mention at all what Podcast Mike is wearing. And I think that has been a direct insult to Podcast Mike because what I have noticed about what Podcast Mike is wearing tonight is it's the exact same outfit that Podcast Mike was wearing last week on the podcast Ah. that did not get talked about. So there's two theories on this. One is that he really wished it was talked about last week and he's like, well, fuck this, I'm going to wear it again and I'm going to make them talk about it. Or he thinks he now has a uniform he can wear to the podcast (laughs) that we won't comment upon. Like it's kind of his invisible cloak. So which of those two do you suspect it is? Well, is, it, is there a third option? Is it a Carl Stefanovic uh, kind of like comment on uh, misogyny and uh, the expectations of women to dress a certain way and men can wear whatever they want? Actually, podcast Mike, I must admit, I did not pay any attention. Can you just turn your camera on for a second just so I can actually take a look at what this outfit is? Okay. I don't remember that from last week, nor did I remember it from 15 seconds ago. Give me a thumbs up if I am correct, though, podcast Mike, that you're wearing the exact same jumper as you were last week give me a thumbs up yep correct so because i did notice it last time because it has an american flag on it and then it has the logo that says detroit iron yeah and i remember at the time going i'm not sure what this is yeah what it's about is it celebrating the city of detroit and are they famous for their iron i know they make cars Cars. in detroit maybe they use iron in the car making process. What is the Detroit iron? Or is it in a is it, to- I mean, if you put like a camo cap on on podcast Mike, you could say he was Marga. Like it's like a long sleeve, rusty red uh, a shirt with Detroit iron with a big American flag. If you just put a camo cap on him, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a Trump supporter for sure. Yeah, he's got an American flag. <laughs> He's representing old school fossil fuel technology. That's right. <laughs> Factories like, that have been closed down. <laughs> the IPCC reports come out. It says we're pretty much fucked. Well, I'm going to rep my Detroit iron fucking sweater on the podcast. Well, let's take a punt. Uh, a podcast, Mike, maybe you can Google it or, or give us the answer while we're speculating. Detroit iron, I reckon it's a offshoot of American apparel. I reckon this is an American apparel t-shirt because they often celebrate like americana i reckon detroit iron is like just one of their ranges what do you think right so they might have like portland weed or something <laughs> yeah yeah all their hemp clothing is like american apparels portland weed we want it to be the 90s forever i mean detroit iron it feels like it could be 
a metal band from the sort of like early 2000s. Like we're Detroit Iron, you know? Or like not in the heydays of metal. I'm talking kind of like post new metal. Or what about, oh, could you go earlier than that? Is it like more soft rock, like Survivor? Detroit Iron, Survivor, I the Tigers. Yeah, Yeah. we're Detroit Iron. Yeah. Yeah. This is our nine and a half minute song. Three guitar solos. We, uh, I mean, we're Detroit Iron. We we actually had a song on the Iron Eagle soundtrack. (laughs) I mean, it could be Detroit irony and the Y has just fallen off. (laughs) Well, that would be ironic, wouldn't it? We've just spent all this time. And Detroit irony is all about like a progressive movement and we've just spent the last 15 minutes accusing him of being a conservative. It might be that they just put the labels because it does have, you know, if you looked in the back of your sweater, and on the little tag that it has in the back, you know, it always has where it's made. So it might have like the American flag to show you that it's American apparel. Mm. Then it has Detroit, the place that it was manufactured. And then that's just an instruction of how you care for it. <laughs> iron. <laughs> but you can only do it in Detroit. You've got to use a specifically a Detroit iron. Otherwise, it just immediately incinerates. If you use an iron that's not from Detroit, it just bursts into flames. All right. Yes, this is merchandise of the Detroit Ironing Board Company. <laughs> Mike, put us out of our misery. What is Detroit iron? Where did you get this shirt? And, and okay. So, it's a, so it seems like it's a motorbike dealership uh, from just Googling it. I just moved house and all my stuff is in boxes in my parents and I haven't been able to get to it because of lockdown. So this is actually the only jumper I currently have, hence the two weeks in a row. And now I feel bad. <laughs> now I feel bad, Mike. I feel like we owe you an apology. As someone who thought I was going to Melbourne for two weeks a month ago and who only has like warm clothing and I'm living in Queensland currently and I only have two pairs of pants and three jumpers, I know, I know how you feel. I mean, this is the situation you feel found yourself in because like it turns out um you know three or four months ago australia had a little strut up australia was like you know what rest of the world you fucking idiots uh here's how you handle fucking covid you just don't bloody get it in the first place yeah and occasionally when it gets out you lock shit down and it fixes it all up and whatever you know melbourne went through a lockdown but the rest of australia pretty fucking much nailed it and i assume Despite the fact that none of us are vaccinated and we're going into winter, everything is going to remain as fine as it currently is. Well, spoiler alert, turns out not so much because this whole country is now... I mean, it is a little ironic that you know regular listeners to this show... Would you say it's Detroit ironic? It is very Detroit ironic, Charlie, that um, the two of us have um, recently moved to the northern rivers of uh, New South Wales within the last year. And the Northern Rivers of New South Wales has been a place that is famously a little sceptical around, you know, vaccinations for things like measles, let alone COVID. <laughs> you know, I think in the first week I moved there, the nearest town were busy pulling down their 5G tower. So it's been a miracle that there really hasn't been a massive outbreak in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. And we've managed to live a very lucky life there, really. You know, go about your business as usual. You've gone across the border in the hope to get to Melbourne. You've gone to Queensland and got locked down and stuck there. I've had to go to Sydney for work, driven into a lockdown. And then suddenly when we're away, COVID has finally come to Byron Bay. It's just, I mean, we've been saying uh, uh, privately for weeks that it's just going to take one person to hit Byron with COVID and that thing will just catch fire. And I've been so surprised that it hasn't happened yet because so many tourists travel from Sydney to Byron and I didn't even realise that they was, you were still able to inspect property. You were allowed to travel from Sydney to inspect property. So, like, 
of all the kind of essential services, the one where you get to travel around to multiple locations and touch objects and, you know, breathe shared airspace, that was allowed. And so I think that's what, you know, from early reports, that's what this this person has done. Says nothing more about Australia though, doesn't no. it? That one of our exceptions is you can still go and check out a second house. Yeah. It got like, investment if you're problem. stuck in some city where everyone's got COVID, including perhaps allegedly your <laughs> wife, and you want to get away from her in a coughing, whinging, COVID-y ass, you can go and inspect some real estate uh, a thousand miles from it there. Is, it is a weird state to be in, isn't it? Like I, I was talking to someone today about, like just, you know, six months ago, it did feel like, wow, we've done it, you know? Like we managed to skate by where the rest of the world stumbled and there was such optimism and positivity you know particularly <laughs> the way they're talking about our industry in terms of like you know it's australia's going to be the new production hub like everyone's coming here it's you guys have got no covert you've got all the tooled up like you got studios and crews and great weather you know what i loved is we mistook the fact that the <clears throat> like if you were doing a graph of all the reason that hollywood stars were coming to australia and on your graph you know, your pie chart was sort of, was there's no COVID there. They have these amazing facilities. They have these good local crews. Like the weather's fantastic. It turns out the, out the fact that we had no COVID was 99% of that pie chart. <laughs> and as soon as that wasn't existing anymore, people were like, oh, you know what? There's pretty good studios and crews in Hollywood too. You know what we are? We are the Matt Damon character. And Matt Damon's appropriate. We are the Matt Damon character from the talented Mr. Ripley. We are the nerdy dude that no one ever really paid attention to. Then all of a sudden, we got all the attention and we're suddenly going to fancy dinners and all the important people want to talk to us and we're living the high life. And we're like, this is amazing. This is going to go on forever. And then Jude Law turns to us and says, you know what? You weren't really part of the cool gang. We didn't really want you. And now... We have a choice. <laughs> Do we go homicidal and we kill the rest of the world? Because, well, the way the numbers are going, we probably could. <laughs> like, we're not far off it. I mean, never has a country fucked shit up as fucking much as we have fucked this up. We were just nailing this worldwide. And a lot of people had sacrificed and suffered. Like, I mean, it was not without sacrifice. In fact, there was major sacrifices from people all around the country and people lost their livelihoods and their jobs and, you know, their passions and shut all those things, put them all on hold and sacrifice. And then our federal government, like, I mean, it's just amazing to me that when of all the things that will be remembered about a prime minister is that now that we know what is going on, at some stage, he literally said out loud, well, it's not a oh. race. We don't have to get the facts. Like, it's, he literally said the words... It's not a race. And it turns out it was absolutely a fucking race and it should have been a race from day one. It's just amazing that a guy with training in marketing has been so bad at getting those kind of like one, like, you know, the after the bushfires, the I don't hold a hose and then it's not a race. It's like, don't you have like, like a whole team behind you that works up kind of like things to say in your press conferences? You want to get buzzwords out there, slogans and stuff. Is it when he goes off script, that's what's behind it all? He's like, I've got a good one. Yeah. I'll, I'll sort out this vaccine shit. I'll tell him it's not a race. There is no way that will ever come back to haunt me. <laughs> because I love, this is what I love about it's not a race now. Yeah. Is clearly now that we're in this like terrible state, it's absolutely a race. Because they've like, they used to have this whole, I oh, don't have this vaccine unless you're under this. Don't blah, blah, blah. Now they're just like, what's that? Your baby just got born. Give us three vaccines. Try all the different ones. It's a fucking race. Well, it's, the, it's the gaslighting. 
that's the thing that is most galling about all of this. It's like, do you think we live in a world without the internet? Do you think we just can't go back and search quotes and articles from what you were saying six months ago? And even like with, with Gladys in New South Wales, the way she's sort of reframing this, you know, because a lot of journalists have been saying, okay, do you think that maybe you should have locked down sooner? Do you think, do you now sort of reevaluate the, 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 the process of, of a hard lockdown? And she's now pivoted to go, well, look, lockdowns are irrelevant now. It's all about vaccinations. It's like, no, they're not irrelevant because we keep thinking or, or the, what we keep getting sold is this magic bullet thing. It's going to be, okay, well, we lock down and then this will happen. Then it's vaccines. What is becoming abundantly clear is we're going to be doing a, a, an assortment of these things for a while. There's going to be, we're going to need to get vaccinated, but we're also going to need to have snap lockdowns. We're going to yeah. need to keep wearing masks. What, it's absolutely what the international story is telling us, by the way. Like America and the UK and places like this that have reopened with, you know, rates of vaccination in some places that are reasonably high, but in other places that are still incredibly low. I mean, I think that Florida has the third worst COVID cases per day of anywhere in the world. I saw this guy on US television talking about the fact that if Florida was another country, the US <laughs> would be stopping people from Florida coming to America. <laughs> you know, like, so it's still bad yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, vaccines aren't going to cure it all. The idea that they're now telling us, well, as soon as you all get vaccinated, everything's going to be fine is yet another fucking lie. Yeah, but they have to sell some kind of hope. And I think, I was saying to Jem, today like uh, i mean I, I apologize to the listeners as well like i didn't i really didn't want to talk about covid because i listened back to the first 15 minutes of last week and i was like i sounded very flat <laughs> i sounded like it was a real downer oh, well, and, that's okay there's plenty of people fucking out there listening to this that are either flat now as well or have been previously flat because of this i think people understand it yeah i know but i feel like maybe you know this stupid podcast should give some people some kind of relief but let me just be indulgent for one more minute the it's the existential uh uh crisis the fact that there is no obvious solution to this there is no silver bullet there is no obvious happy ending and I think that, you know, maybe, well, definitely I was fooled into thinking, okay, this will just work out. Things just work out. And now we're just facing this prospect of there is no, there is no easy solution. And then obviously we've been ignoring climate change for the last... There's no easy solution. And then every time there is a solution that's working, there's some new variant <laughs> of this fucking disease. Uh, like, it's just like, yeah, this Delta's pretty fucked, but you haven't even got onto the Lambada yet. The forbidden COVID. Well, then you also see what's happening around where it's, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere where there's these massive wildfires. And it's like, I feel like we got lucky last summer. Oh, like yeah. the summer of 2009, 2020 was shocking. And we I, we got by. And I think that was a cause for optimism as well. It's like, oh, you know, look, COVID seems to be relatively under control and we haven't had a like a bushfire season. But I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like if this if we're still in this situation and... There's also those massive bushfires where smoke is engulfing the major cities. Like, it's scary. It's scary shit. Well, I mean, the IPCC report got released today on the day that we're recording. And this. it was all great, right? They just said, thumbs up, the world's doing a great job, <laughs> as you were. It literally was them going, I know that this thing that you're all concentrating on right now seems really <laughs> serious, but there's actually a bigger bad over here in the corner. Like, it, the IPCC, the climate came in like Thanos. I, I can't remember which of the Marvel movies it was, but there's that one at the end where Thanos is in the post. So 
credits and he's gone, okay, fine, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And that's basically what the climate's done. <laughs> We've been fighting all these other fucking various villains, but they're not even the big bad in this series. Yeah. Uh, there's a giant asteroid heading towards Earth, but did we also tell you there's an also uh, an alien squid monster that's going to devour us that's heading from the sun? Like, which do you want it to right. be? The asteroid or the giant squid? Because they're both coming. <laughs> fucking hell. Well, well, let's change tact. Um, yes. uh, a listener has uh, sent in this email. Normally we save the emails for the end, but this is, this is good content for TOEFOP. And I okay, thought this is right up our alley. This is from uh, Jordy, who says, uh, hey, here's another tantalizing TOEFOP tidbit. I love the show and have been listening since 161, The Basement of Hell, where you dissected the TV show Passions through the medium of Wikipedia. Anyway... I've been watching The Last Dance recently, and one of the things that really struck me about the series is Michael Jordan's ability to hold a grudge in the face of the media <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. this idea of the public feud in today's current climate. Following this, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole of famous celebrity feuds, and I've attached a link to some for some light reading. Okay, so before we get... Can I just say this? Before we get in, just while we're on Michael Jordan and his capacity to hold a feud, there's something majestic yeah. <laughs> about it. That the one of the greatest athletes of all time, a guy who literally soared above all other humans, like not only did he have feuds, but he would often manufacture feuds with people just so it could drive and motivate him. Like, so you'd just be some innocent other player from some other basketball team, and then suddenly the world's greatest basketballer would be like, hey, you. I fucking hate you and I've always hated you. And you're like, hang on, I love you. I admire you. You're the greatest basketballer of all time. I just feel like it's a pleasure to be on the court with you. Yeah. Well, I fucked your yeah. mum. What you never what? want to do is play a good game against Michael Jordan because it, it feels like it happens about half a dozen times in the course of that documentary where it's like this player plays a great game on Michael Jordan and then the next time they play each other, Jordan absolutely destroys him, basically steps on his throat. Michael Jordan's basement is like a serial killer's basement. He just has pictures of any Anyone who's done him a wrong over his life and intricate plans to pay them back. Geordie uh, also wants to know if we've ever had a beef. Is it, we've ever had an argument, big or small, that has escalated into something else. I can't think of... Uh, you and yeah, I. I don't think we've ever had a massive disagreement. We had a difference no, of opinion I mean, over the Dark Knight Rise. <laughs> so I think yeah, that was yeah, probably... I, still, I haven't actually got over that. There is a little bit of me that still carries that with me. So. It's a sensitive topic. Um, okay. Yeah. So he sent us a link to... These are the top uh, celebrity beefs, the 18 most heated celebrity beefs of the past decade. So we'll play a bit of a game Great. where I'll give you hints on each feud and then we'll get into what each one is. So, okay. Right. All right. All right. First one, easy clue. Um We'll get to this one, Will. I'm going to let you finish, but first I want to get to this article. Kanye and Taylor Swift. It's difficult to forget the viral moment when rapper Kanye Kanye West interrupted Taylor Swift's VMA acceptance speech in 2009, a moment that fueled one of the most famous battles of the decade. Despite a brief amicable stretch in 2015, the release of West's track Famous took the artist's feud to the next level. The song contained the lyrics, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. The Bad Blood singer claimed she didn't grant approval. <laughs> Do you have to grant approval to be referenced in a song? Or is this more of a kind of, it's, it's polite? I mean, it's a weird phone call to have to make though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, I've written this new song. Hey, Taylor, it's me, Kanye. Um, I've written this new song and um, I'm just going to say that I reckon we still might fuck sometime because I made you famous. <laughs> Are you cool with that? Yeah, sure. 
Uh, Swift retaliated in her acceptance speech in 2016 by saying, as the first woman to win album of the year at the Grammys twice, I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. I mean, is that, that's not really, that could, that's a very generic kind of uh, empowering statement. I don't know you could say that was directly aimed at Kanye, could you? Yeah, no. If she got out like a giant sort of strap-on dildo <laughs> and strapped it to the front of her. Oh, no, she's like got some harness and then she attaches the award that she's just won to the harness and then she says, and by the way, Kanye, bend over, I'm coming over. <laughs> then that is a direct retaliation to Kanye. Well, interestingly, Will, you said that uh, would be an awkward conversation um, for them to have. Reportedly, Kanye did call Taylor Swift to let her know because Kim Kardashian interjected in 2016 by leaking a recording of a phone call in which Swift approved the lyrics. The reputation singer again denied giving West the go-ahead. In 2016, the life of Pablo rapper dropped the famous music video which depicted Swift as a naked wax figure laying in bed with a rapper. The pop star opened up about her efforts to reconcile the relationship in 2015 and her disappointment with the feud uh, from the from the feud from 2015 in an interview she did with Rolling Stone in 2019. Uh, getting close to you, earning your trust, detonating you. I really don't want to talk about it anymore because I get worked up and I don't want to talk about negative shit, Swift told Rolling Stone. Who wins that beef? Taylor Swift. Does she? Yeah, absolutely she wins that beef. Why? High moral ground, not talk. But she didn't fire back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why she wins. Like Kanye was the one who did the wrong thing in the first place. And then he dissed her again. He doubled down. So by by not engaging in it, she has won that battle. I should also credit the uh, author of this article. It's from insider.com. This is Claudia Willen, who I am completely, uh, I'm doing a, a Daily Mail. <laughs> Just basically reading her article and claiming it as our content. Um, okay, next clue. Uh, these two stars. Uh, okay, Will, the, um, the, what is the opposite of abstinence in the country? Sex... In the city. Who were the feuding stars from Sex in the City? Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Correct. And uh, the one who played... Uh, so Cynthia Nixon's still in it, so it wasn't her. Um, it wasn't the one with the mousy brown hair. It was the blonde girl yeah. who was like the promiscuous in, character on the show. Yeah, co-star of your mate Anthony McCarthy in Mannequin. Her name uh, is Kim... Cottrell. Cottrell. When fans started to catch wind of a potential third HBO Sex in the City movie in 2016, Kim Cottrell, or Cottrell said that she wouldn't participate. Co-star Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker denied any hard feelings. It was so heartbreaking to me that there was this narrative about Kim and myself because it just didn't reflect anything that happened on set. Nobody asked those questions of shows with men. Isn't that interesting? Parker said in an oh, interview good with stuff. Time. Well done. Good. Well yeah, done. Nice pivot. <laughs> SJP. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. You wouldn't say this about a show about men who hate each other, would you? Yeah. Ask the guys from Entourage if they, if they all hate Turtle. I bet you, yeah. you can never get an answer there. <laughs> After the official announcement that there wouldn't be a third Sex in the City, the Daily Mail reported that the movie was torpedoed by Kim Cattrall's outrageous demands. I think Sarah Jessica Parker's onto something. This sounds like they're trying to set up a very tabloid catfight. Right, and possibly based on seeing Sex in the City too, because I like the TV series. Um, the movie, the second movie in particular is fucking unwatchable. It's so bad. 
Maybe Kim Cattrall's outrageous demand was a better script than they got for the previous movie. Uh, Cattrall told Piers Morgan, this is really where I take to task the people from Sex and the City, and specifically SJP, in that I think she could have been nicer. I really think she should have been nicer. I don't know what her issue is. I never have. In a 2018 interview with Andy Cohen, Parker said that she was heartbroken about the animosity between the co-stars. It's sad, but I always think what ties us together was a singular experience. It was a professional experience, but it became personal. When Cattrall's brother passed away in 2018, Parker sent her condolences to her former star. Cattrall responded with an Instagram post dismissing her former co-star's words. I don't need your love or your support at this time, Sarah Jessica Parker. My mum asked me today, when will Sarah Jessica Parker, that hypocrite, leave you alone, fuck? I mean, if mum didn't say that, she's just been pulled into a fight that she didn't deserve. All right, who wins that one? Yeah, okay. So this is a really hard one to pick because it feels to me that there's got to be some sort of beef, right? Like, yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire, it feels like. With, like, Kim Cattrall seems very upset. Like, the fact that if someone reaches out upon the death of a sibling or a loved one and your immediate reaction is go on social media and go, no, fuck you, you would feel like that person feels like a lot of harm has been done to them. Yeah. The fact that Sarah Jessica Parker seems to live in this world where nothing's ever gone wrong, there's no acknowledgement of it at all, says to me that I'm probably thinking that Kim Cattrall is closer to the truth than SJP. Because if like SJP was a bit like, yeah, we never got on like a house on fire, but like I love with all my heart and, you know, like different people work on projects and these sort of things. We're never going to be best friends, but we'll always be bonded by this experience. You'd be like, okay. But the fact that she's Mm. like, don't know what you're talking about. We're best friends, whatever. Like the best of all friends. It's got an element of like sociopathic, kind yeah. of behavior right that you are you are living in this world where no no and i'm just so heartbroken and everything's wonderful well clearly it's not because this person keeps saying that you're really mean to them <laughs> like surely you would at least go look maybe i didn't behave in a certain i didn't think i was doing anything wrong but clearly she's upset but she's not saying that and then no, there's I mean, no sort of I, I see how upset she is and i'm so disappointed about that and if things that i've done in my past have led to that I did not ever mean that to be the case, but I absolutely own that behavior and hope that we can have a better relationship going forward. Like any of that sort of shit, even if you don't mean it, that's what you would say. Yeah. Whereas like SJP seems to be living in a world where she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm married to Ferris Bueller, so (laughs) whatever. All right. right, So rather than who won the beef, I'm going to make you, you're the judge Judy. You get to determine who's in the right. So you're saying... Uh, on all available evidence that Kim Cattrall is in Kim the right. Kim Cattrall. Okay, your war damages. Yeah, okay, okay. Have you got yeah. a gavel? In the in the court of Tofop, <laughs> I find for Kim Cattrall. <laughs> okay, and next feud. Rappers Pusha T and Drake have used their music to fuel their feud. Now, I feel okay. like in hip-hop, like isn't 90% yeah. of hip-hop fueled by beefs? I mean, are we going to get to Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly if we go keep going down this list? Because... It feels to me, or Eminem and pretty much everybody, that he shouts out on any of his albums, to be honest. (laughs) Anyone who, I mean, even if you say something nice about Eminem, he tends to like write some kind of retaliatory song. Yeah, fucking Snoop said I was the best rapper of all time. Fuck you, smoking (laughs) doobies like my dick. You're like, hang on. Christina Aguilera said something nice about him. I think he's really cute, but he might be married. And she got absolutely eviscerated. 
and I'm going to talk in my rap about all the be- other people you might have fucked. How about that? I'm going to slut shame you for being nice to me. Dating back to the early 2010s, this feud began when Pusha T suggested that Drake had a ghostwriter, prompting years of back and forth. I'd prefer this, by the way, if it was a beef between Drake and Booker T. <laughs> the five-time, five-time, five-time. The five- WCW champion. Uh, you should watch the documentary on Booker T on A&E. It's, it's really good, really good. Oh, so here's the thing about wrestling documentaries. They all pretty much have terrible, terrible endings. <laughs> it's normally someone dying early of a heart attack or concussion or whatever like that. His is a really in- inspirational story. Where he came from to where he fin- uh, finishes up, good story. Anyway, the fight ramped up in 2018 when Pusha T dropped the story of Adidon. Adidon? Adidon. A song filled with allegations about Drake, including that he had a secret son named Adonis, which turned out to be true, and the cover art of God's Plan, uh, and, and the cover art of God's Plan rapper in blackface wearing a Jim Crow shirt. Wow. All right. So he's not fucking around here. <laughs> Drake defended himself in an Instagram story. I was working on a project that was about a young black actor struggling to get roles, being stereotyped and typecast. The photos represented how African-Americans were once wrong, wrongfully portrayed in entertainment. Okay, all right. So what he's saying is you took that black face out of context. I was actually making a statement about that. Um, he wasn't on the Jackson Drive on Hey Hey It's Saturday. He was... Um, okay, so what is he, this is Drake's statement. I know that everyone's enjoying the circus. I want to clarify the image in question. This was not from a clothing brand shoot or my music career. Can you imagine if it was? In Australia, it probably would be, unfortunately. <laughs> this picture is from 2007, a time in my life where, where I was an actor and I was working on a project that was about a young black actor struggling to get roles. The photos represented how African-Americans were once wrongfully portrayed in entertainment. Me and my best friend at the time, uh, who was also an actor from Sudan, were attempting to use our voice to bring awareness to the issue we dealt with all the time as young black actors at auditions. This was not to highlight, this was to highlight and raise our frustrations with not always getting a fair chance in the industry and to make a point that the struggle for black actors has not changed much. Okay, Will, (laughs) this is a controversial, which way are you going to rule in this one? Pusha T or Drake? Regardless of, so here's the thing. Pusha T has been proved that Drake had a kid, right? So his word has some credibility in the court. One of the things that he raps about has turned out to be true. Now, does that mean that the other thing that he's rapping about, I don't know, like Drake's explanation is a good explanation. Mm. That's what I would say. It is a very credible, he was an actor. You can imagine as like a light-skinned actor but going for black roles that he might have some issues around race and identity. He's talking about a mate of his who's from Sudan, right? Like, so who's probably like a really black, black guy. And so I can understand that maybe they could collaborate on some project where they explore, you know, the issues and frustrations they would face and you could have an image like that. In fact, it makes a lot more sense than any other immediate explanation of that to me. So... This is a bit of a tide ruling. I'm ruling to push a T on the case of Drake having a kid, but I'm ruling for Drake on the case that he, it's been taken out of context. Okay, so push a T has to pay Drake's court, uh, uh, court like court expenses. I uh, no, I think it's like uh, everyone just like walks away. Okay, you walk settlement. away with whatever you, yeah, settlement, okay. right? Yeah, we agree to a disagree. Okay, <laughs> an official agree to disagree. Okay, um, all right. The next two celebrities. Um, uh, uh, both, uh, I would say, both the epitome of privileged white women, 
One is um, of a boomer generation and one is of a Gen X generation. Um, one is a prison bird. The other is uh, was formerly married to a rock star. So Sharon Osbourne? No. Yeah. No, you, you got that. The, um, the one, the younger one, was married to a rock star. The older one is the is the jailbird. Okay, so they're a jailbird. Yeah. OJ Simpson? No, thinking like a like a boomer white lady, and she is like the epitome. If you think of suburban white mum, she was like the white Oprah. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Okay, so Martha Stewart had a beef with a younger lady who was once married to a rock star. Yeah, well, musician. <laughs> Maybe rock star is kind of Gwyneth you. Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. The, yeah, someone who would not be out of place in the Northern Rivers. Um, yeah. Okay. Is there space for two mavens in the lifestyle arena? Martha Stewart may not think so. E! News reported that Stewart was asked about her thoughts on Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand, Goop, in a 2014 Porter magazine. She just needs to be quiet. (laughs) She's a movie star. If she were confident in her acting, she wouldn't be trying to be Martha Stewart. (laughs) She told Porter, holy shit, this beef has got more fire than Pusha T and Drake. Holy cow. this... Straight after Martha's come out of prison. It sounds I feel like, like it. she's still in prison mode. Yeah, she's got like, the shit. She thinks she's in the yard. Into a sock. She has to fucking throw down and own some territory. This is too much, Martha. All right, Paltrow responds. If I'm really honest, I'm so psyched that she sees this as competition. I'm so psyched. I really am. Months after Stewart's comments, Paltrow then hired Lisa Gersh, the former CEO at Martha Stewart Living, as Goop's CEO in 2014. Oh, this is great. I mean, this is an Aaron Sorkin. Why he hasn't turned this into kind of like a six-part series yet? But it's got all that. I mean, I mean, this is a great fucking story. Like yeah. older, like you know, suburban. The icon of suburbanite suburban, yeah. households, like products, cooking, lifestyle, ends up in prison. Mm. Meanwhile, there's this like sort of young hippie, dippy, not science, very pseudoscience-y, you know, former actor now, like just like billionaire celebrity in the same sort of space, but very modern take on that same space. And then the older one gets out of prison and is trying to reclaim their territory. It's like the old, it's like the mafia Don who's been in prison. And then like somebody's come in, they're selling fucking meth in his town where you used to only deal weed or whatever. And it's time to yeah. fucking throw down. I love this. I mean, I, you, I just love to see a shot of Martha Stewart in her cell, just doing like she's jacked, just doing chin-ups. Like yeah, she's Sarah bed up on the side. Terminator Sarah Connor style. No, more like Cape Fear, but she's just got like recipes tattooed all over her body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like how to cross stitch and stuff. <laughs> Um, Stuart spoke about Paltrow's lifestyle company again in 2019 on an episode of Alex Rodriguez's podcast, The Court. I wish Paltrow good luck. And that's an in inverted commas. So I'm suggesting maybe she's uh, being yeah. sarcastic. Very much. I don't the, follow. You've got a lot of nice things in this house. It'd be a yeah. pity if anything happened to them sort of way that you would say good luck to somebody. I don't follow Goop, she said when asked about the company. Sometimes I look at products she's selling. I wish every young entrepreneur well, and I hope that there are many, many, many different kinds of entrepreneurs if they're movie stars or hardworking women like I am, who are not movie stars. If they have a good idea, I want them to be able to succeed. So good luck, Gwyneth. I mean, how's that for a backhanded compliment? That is... <laughs> nothing that is not about well that is so much about Gwyneth but the words she is saying are not the words she means 
All right, next feud. Um, oh, hang on, I have to like right. decide who I, I'm fine. Oh yeah, sorry. Who feud. do you rule? So Judge Will, who do you rule in favour of? I absolutely 100% rule in favour of Martha Stewart. <laughs> I fucking love <laughs> the way she rules. I don't know. That's how you're meant to be making a judgment. It's who's in the right here. You know what? I mean, Martha literally, Stewart. she's a she's a con. She's an ex-con. The I bitch mean, is back. If anything, I say. <laughs> You're the only judge who likes to release criminals back onto the street because they're entertaining. Exactly. You've got to clean up this town. The only way to beat a criminal is to release another criminal. Martha Stewart's <laughs> my suicide squad. The only, you can't, the only way to stop a bad guy with a, with a wellness company is a good guy with a wellness, wellness company. company. Or another bad Older, guy. good woman with a wellness company. Okay, next uh, feud is between two heartthrobs. Mm. Um, this heartthrob sort of peaked. He had a very short. He's a movie star. Had a mm. had like a peaked in the sort of early two thousands. Famous for like sword films. Uh, this other guy is a pop star, probably the biggest pop star in the world still. Justin Bieber, correct. And someone who Who's was the actor, like sword fighting films, and was like. Yeah, heartthrob English. Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. What did uh, Orlando Bloom and Bieber beef about? After Canadian singer Justin Bieber performed at the 2012 Victoria's Secret fashion show, speculation circulated that he flirted with Miranda Kerr, Orlando Bloom's then wife and former Victoria's Secret model. Bloom and Kerr separated in 2013, according to E! News. Meanwhile, Bieber also broke up with his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Selena Gomez. Kerr and Bieber's flirtation reportedly continued to frustrate Bloom following the couple's split and led to reports of a physical fight in July 2014 at Cipriani's in Ibiza, Spain. A viral video taken by an eyewitness appears to show Bloom throwing a punch at Bieber before the singer exits the restaurant. TMZ, or Team Z, I should say, in Australia, Team Z, <laughs> reported that the crowd applauded as the baby singer left. Bieber retaliated by posting an Instagram photo of Kerr in a bathing suit, which he later deleted. All right. Well, Judge Will, I mean, this is probably the, the lamest of all the beefs. I don't like either of these two guys. It's hard for me to rule on this. You're both guilty. Yeah. <laughs> You're both terrible. guilty. <laughs> um, here's what I will say. They're all happily married now to different people, I believe. Miranda Kerr, right. Orlando Bloom, and Justin Bieber. So yep. it all worked out fine in the end. So can you imagine you're at, like, where, where was it? Was it Ibiza? Ibiza, yeah. So you're in Ibiza. You know, you've been out partying all weekend. Like, you've been out for two days. You've barely fucking slept. You know, you're having a great old time in Ibiza. You're like, we should get some food. You go to a restaurant <laughs> and Orlando Bloom throws a punch at Justin Bieber. Like, you would <laughs> just be story. like, these pills have kicked back in. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. I mean, I'm surprised Orlando Bloom just didn't hit him over the head with his enormous dick. <laughs> You've seen those photos, haven't you? That's you got to go with Orlando Bloom just because of that. Yeah, you're like Bieber is an enormous dick, and Orlando Bloom has an enormous dick. So I'm going to say Orlando Bloom. I find for Orlando. Okay, next feud. Um, uh, oh well, this person, uh, two pop, female pop stars. One very closely uh, associated with Orlando Bloom. Katy Perry. No, yeah, and Katy the other Perry. one is previously mentioned. And um, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Once close friends, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift had issues spanning from 2014 to 2019. 
the dispute has since been resolved. Okay, so no, it sounds like no need for Judge Will at the end of this. They've reached a settlement. The singers had a smooth sailing relationship until a fight over backup dancers in 2014. Oh my god! <laughs> like, is there any is there any more lame a reason to have a fight than backup dancers? It's you know what it is. It's a niche reason to have a fight. Yes. That is one of the issues that Hard to relate friendships to. don't really face. You know, when we talk about the idea that the biggest fight we ever had was over The Dark Knight Rises, we've never been separately about to go on tour and there's only one <laughs> set of backup dancers for our live podcast and we've had to fight over who are the best backup dancers. Taylor Swift hired three dancers who had danced for Katy Perry for her Red Tour. Three months later, Katy Perry was beginning her Prismatic Tour and hired the three backup dancers back pulling them from the middle of the forever and always singer's time on the road. I mean, can I just sort of say that I'm assuming these dancers have their own agency, right? They're not like uh, uh, human cattle. Like, they can choose who they work for, right? I mean, is it really up to Katy Perry and Taylor Swift to decide who they work for? Don't these dancers get to choose who they take a job from? Well, I'll give you a real-life example. I have a new television show. It's called Question Everything. It's on the ABC, 8.30 Wednesday nights from August 18th. ABC, I view. Please watch it. Um... <laughs> James Colley, who's the head writer on the show, he is also the head writer at The Weekly with Charlie Pickering, and he's the head writer on Gruen. Well, he's the co-head writer on Gruen as well, right? Like, uh, we have writers on the show who've worked on Hard Quiz, all sorts of other shows. By the logic of Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, I would have to get in a feud with Tom Gleason and Charlie Pickering <laughs> and also myself <laughs> like, because I'd be like, no, you can't work on these other shows. You've just got to work on this one show. No, those people have, like you said, you can't, and it's, you know, if someone's good, you want them to work on, particularly if you're friends with somebody, you're like, yeah, I would also love to use that person that you use or vice versa because we both think they're great and we would like to give them an opportunity. I think... This is an unreasonable request, unless they had tours starting at the exact same time. So I guess if my show was going up against Charlie Pickering's show and then like two parents fighting over who's going to be able to keep the dog, like, you know, we basically put James Colley in the middle of the room and Charlie stood on one side and yelled at him and I stood on the other side and tried to lure him towards me and we just decided who they went to. That would be closer. And I do you think that's the scenario or is it just that... They're touring at different times, and so it doesn't matter. They can work on either show. Well, they're touring. No, it sounds like they're touring at the same time, right? Okay. At least one tour started in the middle of another tour. But if it's a case of getting poached, headhunted, like I'm assuming for you to leave a tour, you'd have to be offered more money, right? Like for you to suddenly quit employment, like you're not going to pack your bags and stuff if it's the same money. I imagine you're getting headhunted in a way or better conditions or better treatment or something like that. Right. There's got to be some compelling reason, doesn't there? Because if you just take the two industries, like, you know, you're choosing between jobs. You're like, I'm either going to be a backup like dancer for Taylor Swift or I'm going to be a backup dancer for uh, Katy Perry. They're both, you're like, oh, these will be good jobs for many years to come, right? Yeah. Like I can work for this person. They're super successful. They'll always be out on the road doing shows. They'll be fun shows to do. Maybe it just comes down to a preference over music. Like if you're a backup dancer, the one thing you have to do is hear the same music every night, mm. but also maybe dance. Like maybe there's better dancing yeah. in a uh, Katy Perry show than there is. Or in a better Charles choreographer. Show. You're probably working with a better yeah. whoever's choreographing this show. It's like, well, I like working with that choreographer. She's much better than the other guy. And out of the two, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but like cl clearly Taylor Swift is the better natural musician mm. out of the two. Yeah. 
So I would suggest there's probably times at a Taylor Swift concert where she just like plays the guitar and sings a song and like the stage. But Katy Perry's not doing no. that. Katy Perry understands that people are going along for a mixture of the music and the, the spectacle. entertainment. So I reckon if you're a backup dancer for Katy Perry, you're like, it's great. I'm on stage all night long. Swift released the track Bad Blood as part of her 1989 album. During an interview with Rolling Stone, she revealed the track was about another female artist. Oh, we're just straight up enemies, she said. And it wasn't even about a guy. It had to do with business. She basically tried to sabotage an entire arena tour. She tried to hire a bunch of people out from under me. The next day, Perry posted a tweet, which many fans speculated was about Swift. She said, watch out for Regina George in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? Who's Regina George? I don't know. I'm going to Google it, though, and see if it comes up. Regina George. The two stars slid in several more public comments, including Perry's carpool karaoke interview. which Regina the... George is a character from the movie Mean Girls. Oh, okay, right. Oh, yeah. I can sort of see that. Taylor Swift sort of resembles Rachel McAdams. Um, the Dark Horse, Katie, the Dark Horse singer Katy Perry issued an apology in 2017 via her YouTube live stream. She also sent Swift an olive branch in 2018, which is a symbol of peace. Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> I wasn't sure. So she literally sent her an olive branch. Yeah. Not uh, a so a literal, not figurative olive branch. Yeah, but she also sent it in a dead dove's mouth. <laughs> so it's it a, it a little aggressive as well. <laughs> Remaining speculation of the feud were laid to rest in 2019 when Perry posted an Instagram of cookies from Swift's Kitchen captioned Feels Good Taylor Swift and appeared in Swift's music video for the song You Need to Calm Down. Um, well, that's oh. a good... That's You know what? That's a nice story. I'm glad that they've managed to work out their differences. I, can you make a ruling on ruling on that? Is like everyone... Again, I guess there's no... Like everyone just walk away. It sounds like you guys have resolved this. I rule in favour of the backup dancers. Yeah, exactly. Give them a race. Oh, Will. Finally, we get to a feud that you and I can really sink our teeth into. Um, you must know about this this feud because it stars one of our most beloved celebrities on TOEFOP. Russell Crowe? No, no, no. Who is the guy we talk about more than any other celebrity? We talked about him last week, in fact. Keanu Reeves. No! The Rock. He's a The Rock. You know who he was in a feud with? Uh, Pretty well publicised. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel and Dwayne The Rock Johnson butted heads while filming The Fate of the Furious. And I mean... By the way, I watched F9 the other night and I mean, I know this is the point, but you still have to comment on the fact that sometimes you're just like, remember in the first movie, you were all just like streetcar racers <laughs> and car thieves and stuff and now you're supercomputer hackers <laughs> and you're flying cars in space and shit and you just know how to do it all just naturally it's fucking it's amazing it's actually what they've managed to do from the first of those movies where they've just gone if we just gradually make these more and more extreme every time i think the audience will just go with it and they absolutely have <laughs> While filming The Fate of the Furious in 2017, Dwayne The Rock Johnson posted an Instagram with a pointed message about his co-star Vin Diesel. My female co-stars are always amazing and I love them. My male co-stars, however, they're a different story. Some conduct themselves as stand-up men and true professionals, while others don't. The ones that don't are too chicken shit to do anything about it anyway, candy ass, Johnson said, according to Time. The post has since been deleted. Diesel reportedly confronted Johnson the day after he published the post, which led to an argument. Two days later, the former professional wrestler posted another one on Instagram. 
Family is going to have differences of opinion and fundamental core beliefs. To me, conflict can be a good thing when it's followed by great resolution. I was raised on healthy conflict and I welcome it. And like any family, we get better from it, wrote Johnson, as reported by Entertainment Tonight. The two stars continued with a pointed back and forth um, on Instagram, but matters had cooled by April 2017. We still love each other. That's my boy. When I was making that difficult decision, should there be a Fast and the Furious 8 or not, I called Dwayne and I said, brother, I will be there shoulder to shoulder with you to make sure it's the best movie in history. (laughs) And he delivered, Diesel said on the red carpet, (laughs) according to Vanity Fair. I mean... The I movie in history. I the fact that he said when I was making that difficult decision, should there be an eight or not? Now, look, you might be refer, yeah. referring to the fact that Paul Walker died. Maybe that's what he's saying. Like, do we make another movie after Paul's died? But I think it's not a difficult decision once the studio just backs up that money truck on your doorstep and says, "Here, go buy yourself an island, buy two. But also, why would you stop making these movies? You have your own extended universe now like they are like marvel superhero heroes you've created a franchise from the ground up you should never stop making these films like people clearly just want you to keep making these films so secondly what i love is but let's take vin diesel on face value here, yeah. right so he's just like maybe he is genuinely you know upset about the paul walker thing well i'm sure he absolutely yeah. was but like let's say that's part of it and then he's like troubled by the fact that him and Dwayne aren't really getting along in the way that they, you know, should be. And then he just wakes up one day and he's like, you know what though? I think I've got a story to tell. It's about family. And I think it's important that people learn a story about family. And uh, I'm going to have to call Dwayne and I'm going to have to tell him, hey buddy, I need you to make the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> We're remaking Citizen Kane? No, no. <laughs> Fast and the Furious 8. Too fate, too furious. Rosebud is his muscle car. <laughs> Wasn't it called? Cool? That was the fate of the furious, I imagine. I, I forget. I've, I've, I think I've only seen two or three Fast and Furious films. I'm not sure where they... Dude, they are... I mean, they're ridiculous. Like, they are the movie equivalent of our idea that you would go to new metal concerts <laughs> and see wrestling footage, right? That's what these movies are as movies. But they are... Super entertaining and absolutely hilarious, and no one's ever dead. It's like one of those things where you're just like some some person like dies in one of them, and you're just like, I wonder which movie they're going to be revealed that they're not dead. And that's like, and every time it happens, you're like, yeah, knew it, but also great. And then people who are enemies, they just they're complete and utter lack of regard for continuity is one of my absolute favorite things about the franchise because they just. Like, people are enemies. They kill, like, someone's brother or whatever. Yeah. And then it's just like, Isn't oh, now that we're like on the Jason Statham? Because I, like, I saw the Hobbs and Shaw movie. And it's like, the last, that's one of the Fast and Furious films I've seen where the opening sequence is yeah. him, like, literally killing 50 people, <laughs> you know, to do with the heroes. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, let's give him a spin off. Now we're mates. It's amazing. And um, I love that Paul Walker's still refer- like they still reference Paul Walker's character in the movies. Like there was a shout out to him in this latest movie. It's just, it's real greatest hits shit. Like it's just real comfortable. It's like one of those bands who had some really good songs and now they can't write any good songs, but the stage show just gets bigger and bigger. Like it is the equivalent of you two having that screen that takes up half of a stadium. They're just like, look, we're still just going to play Pride in the Name of Love, but now it's in space. <laughs> All right. So how are you ruling in that one? 
Um, uh, so, I mean, I've got a rule in favour of, yeah. you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Always, okay. of course. Um, t- I like what Dwayne said, though. He, like, rethought it and he talked about the idea of conflict and families and conflict can be a, a positive thing if you embrace it in the right way. I thought they were good yeah. words. So, okay. Yeah, uh, next celebrities. Um, female rapper, female pop star. Now, probably... Uh, she was at one time probably the, the, the biggest female rapper in the world. She's probably been overtaken at that point, but she'd be the top three, top two or three. And Nicki this, Minaj. Nicki Minaj. And the other is a is a pop star who has moved through genres, teen star, pop star, and she and she works with all different kinds of people. She's worked in lots of different genres. Reinvented herself. Very young Madonna? pop star. No, 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 young. Like okay, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce. No. Um, how can um, all right? She has a background in country, but it's not Taylor Swift. No, it's not Taylor Swift this time. Her father was a big country star. Nicki Minaj and oh, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. Yeah. The trouble between super bass rapper Nicki Minaj and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart singer Miley Cyrus began when Minaj's Anaconda video didn't receive a nomination for the VMA uh, Video of the Year Award mm-hmm. in 2015. Minaj viewed the lack of nomination as a lack of representation. When the other girls drops a video that breaks records and imp- when the other girls drop a video that breaks records and impacts culture, they get a nomination, wrote Minaj, likely referencing Taylor Swift for her Bad Blood video. If you want to make it about race, there's a way you could do that. But don't make it just about yourself. Say, this is the reason why I think it's important to be nominated. There's girls everywhere with this body type, Sarah said in a New York Times video. Hang on, maybe I feel like I've missed something. All right, so yeah, so Nicki Minaj literally just said in her post, when the other, in inverted commas, girls drop a video that breaks records and impacts culture, they get a nomination. And then she's done a bunch of smiley face emojis, which I think is sarcastic. And then Cyrus has responded the same. Look, if you want to make it about race, there's a way you could do that, but don't make it about yourself. Say, this is a reason why I think it's important to be nominated. There's girls everywhere with this body type, Cyrus said in a New York Times interview, which I don't hate. Like, I think that's, you know, she's, she's not backing down. She's kind of trying to move the conversation forward, but still holding her ground. Let's see how Nikki responds. <laughs> What's your prediction? Yeah, yeah, I don't think well. I feel like Nikki's not going to take it the way you took it. <laughs> When Minaj won the VMA for Best Hip Hop Video, she spoke directly to Miley during her speech. Back to this bitch. (laughs) That had a lot to say about me the other day in the press. Miley, what's good? The Anaconda rapper asked. (laughs) Cyrus responded, hey, look, we're all in this industry. We all do interviews. We all know how they can manipulate your words. Nikki, congratulations. Okay. In 2019, Cyrus released the track Catitude, which contains the following lyrics, I love you, Nikki, but I listen to Cardi. The feud appears to be ongoing. Well, I mean, you could have just said, leave it I at love that. you, Nikki, and I also love Cardi. <laughs> you don't have to choose one or the other. You definitely don't have to release a song. She could have left it at Nikki, congratulations, and just moved on. But then she's like, you know what? Fuck her. <laughs> I'm going to the studio. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now this is a feud that. All right. Wow. Okay. So you've got a young female pop star who's in the same milieu as Miley and Taylor, 
she's probably one of the other she's probably one of the other top five big pop stars in the world mm. um and then you've got like an old she is like not just a she was a, she was a star of stage screen and um recording star one of the old school diva like she was she was one of the original like in the 70s and 80s i think she's even an oscar winner and not barbara streisand she's kind of like the rock and roll barbara streisand Rock and roll Barbara Patty Smith? Mm, okay, maybe rock and roll is too strong a word. She's like a cooler version of Barbara Streisand. <laughs> but she was like a rock star. She was like a She released she wasn't a rock star, she released a rock album. She's probably more known as an actor and like a musical theatre type lady. Um but she was cool in her day. Uh Bet Midler. Bet Midler. Versus. And I never knew about this feud. It's fantastic. So so if it's so it's got to be like a Britney or a Christina Aguilera or no 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 uh, no of the current female pop stars like of the Miley Cyrus Taylor Swift uh-huh. not not she's not an elder stateswoman um, okay I'll give you a hint um, she's also if you were to order a coffee you might order her okay <laughs> in America specifically I don't think you really order it in Australia oh but if you went into like Coffee bean, you might ask for a uh, um, a venti a latte um, um, <laughs> <laughs> and Ariana. Oh, Grande, yeah, Grande. Okay. Um, Bette Midler expressed disapproval of Ariana Grande's image in a 2014 interview in the Telegraph, calling her so ridiculous. Oh. It's always surprising to see someone like Ariana Grande with that silly high voice. Jesus, man. a very wholesome voice, slithering or slithering around on a couch and looking so ridiculous. I mean, it's silly beyond belief, and I don't know who's telling her to do it. <laughs> Midler well, told, you know telegraph. who's telling her to do it, Bet. You know better than anyone who's telling her to do it. Men in the fucking record industry, <laughs> like she probably doesn't want to do it. You can have a little bit more empathy, I would have thought, Bet. I imagine you've had these same struggles in your life. I wish they'd stop. It's not my business. I'm not her mother or her manager. Maybe they, maybe. They they tell them that's what you've got to do. Sex sells. Sex is always sold. Yeah. She continues. So you do know, actually, bet how it happened. <laughs> the managers and stuff told them that sex sells. The thank you singer next took to Twitter to respond. Bet was always a feminist who stood for women being able to do whatever the fuck they wanted without judgment. I'm not sure that bet went uh, where that bet went, but I want to say the sexy mermaid. But I want that sexy mermaid back. Always a fan, no matter what, my love, Grande tweeted at the time. In 2019, Midler publicly supported Grande for her decision not to perform at the Grammys, so it appears this feud is over. It's a pretty easy decision there, isn't it, Judge Will? Well, here's the thing I would say is I love Bette Midler, and before I knew who she was up against, I would have just found instinctively for Bette Midler, but clearly Ariana Grande handled it with absolute class. Okay, um... Okay, I'll make this easier. I'm narrowing it down to one of the three. One of these, uh, one of the Kardashians, and a very—I uh, don't know if she as is, as is big now. Female American comedian who was very big a couple of years ago. I don't know if she's as, as big anymore, but she uh, had a movie and specials and seemed to be everywhere. She doesn't seem to be as everywhere these days. Okay. So take a pick um, at a Kardashian. You've got a thirty-three point three percent chance of being right. Well, I'm going to say... Well, if you start with... You're almost there. You're 5% here. Kim Kardashian. No. 
Oh. Chloe Kardashian. Correct. I don't even know which one that is. Though. That's like, I know which one Kim is and then I don't know who the She's other the bigger, are. the, the okay. taller one, All the right. bigger one. So Chloe Kardashian had a fight with, who was the other, a comedian a f- who was am- big for a American while. Comedian. Yeah, I mean, you probably know better than me. She may be, she's still big, but she was definitely everywhere about five years ago. Amy Schumer. Schumer, correct. She's still big? Yeah, but not as big. I know what you mean. She had like a moment yeah. where she was everywhere. During her 2015 monologue on SNL, comedian Amy Schumer cracked jokes about keeping up with the Kardashians, Chloe Kardashian's 35-pound weight loss. We used to have Chloe. Chloe was ours, right? But then Chloe, she's lost half her body weight. Like Chloe, she's lost a Kendall. And now we have nothing, Schumer said. <laughs> the reality oh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> the reality star fired back on Twitter. No need to tear down others just to make yourself feel bigger. It actually makes you quite small. I'm on a healthy journey. I don't care for the hate, the reality star tweeted. In 2019, Schumer posted a photo of the Kardashian family, including Chloe, and wrote a glowing caption about them and their show. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Chloe responded writing, Oh, thank you for this. That's very sweet of you. Oh, who got to you, Amy? I didn't think the joke was... I didn't think there's anything... I mean, I don't think there's anything bad about it. Here's, well, here's what I would say. Like, talking about, like, bodies and, you know, body shaming and whatever is, like, I think an area that is very complicated now. And it's like, who has ownership about making those jokes? Amy Schumer's shtick is like all about her body image, you know, what sort of person she was. Like she's not a, you know, traditionally kind of like Hollywood movie star, like svelte person and would make a lot of jokes about that. So this joke is not like out of the sort of shtick she'd probably be doing. It'd probably be mixed in with a whole bunch of self-deprecating stuff, I imagine. And then the joke is really just like, I understand that there is some mean spiritness to it, but it's mostly just like, hey, you used to be like, like me. Us. Yeah. And now you've lost, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It feels like an okay joke, I yeah. think. It sounds a bit sensitive. A bit sensitive. Um, who do you rule in favor of? Uh, Amy Schumer. Okay. All right. Uh, next feud, it's another Kardashian. <laughs> so not the same. Right. So you've got a 50-50 chance of getting this one Kim. right. Kim. Correct. Um, and she was in a feud with a, an actress, a movie star, who appeared in a has appeared in as the same character in a comic book movie, but not one of your mainstream ones. More like a sort of an adult comic book movie that was a bit... Um, um, like um, Sin City or yeah like- kind of yeah it, it was like it was based on a comic book but it's a Mark Millar comic book and it's kind of it was it wasn't like a mainstream no it was so that's not true it was a I don't know how to do it. so it was a she played a superhero but it was a not in a super oh fuck I don't, it, it's Chloe Grace Moretz <laughs> I couldn't think of how to give you a clue from um um, yeah. Kick-ass. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry. I just really struggled. To I wouldn't have known her name anyway. Okay. All right. Kim Kardashian West posted a nearly nude photo to Twitter in 2016, and actress Chloe Grace Moretz was quick to respond. I truly hope you realize how important setting goals are for young women, teaching them we have more to offer than just our bodies, she wrote on Twitter. Um... Kardashian responded by writing, hey, let's all welcome Chloe Grace Moretz to Twitter since no one knows who she is. Oh, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Fight, 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 fight. Hang on. Like, you know what? 
Okay, now I, I need to hear the whole story before I make my judgment. But <laughs> You're I about to bang that gavel. Where I'm going on this one. <laughs> um, uh, welcome, Chloe Grace Meritz, to Twitter. Since no one knows who she is, your nylon cover is cute, boo. Um, Kardashian West sent the 22-year-old actress, along with a larger list of Kardashian haters, a bottle of her KKW fragrance, Kimoji Hearts Bay perfume, as a Valentine's gift in 2018. On an episode of Watch What Happens with Andy Cohen, Moret said that she didn't open the bottle. In August 2019, the If I Stay actress shared a photo of herself on the beach and her bikini straps were not visible. She faced immediate backlash from Kardashian West fans and removed the photo. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> like, she didn't do anything. She posted a photo of herself at the beach and the Kardashian fans went bananas. All right, Will, I need to get your ruling on this because I know, look, I know in the court of public opinion how I want to rule on this one. Oh, I mean, the fact that... I, I'm so all over Chloe Grace, what's her name, Moretz? Yeah. Um, she made a valid enough comment. And like when you post something like that, like some of the feedback you know is going to be in that direction. Like it wasn't particularly mean-spirited. It was actually asked in a question and she was like making a statement on behalf of like women who don't, you know, who aren't inspired by that. Women are allowed to be inspired by that as well. But, you know, yeah. there are some who aren't and she was talking for them. And then Kim Kardashian, who's got like millions of Twitter followers, has like dunked on someone. So like talk about punching down. Like it's already someone who's just like new to Twitter, doesn't have a lot of followers, doesn't have the following that you have. You unleash your fucking army on this person to the point where they sit around and follow them on Instagram until (laughs) one point their bikini fucking straps aren't showing and then they crucify them in the court of public opinion. No fucking way. I mean, that is a good reason why you should just Stay off social media and especially don't comment. Like there's sometimes where I find myself getting like enraged where I'm like Mm. scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or something. And there is sometimes an urge to involve myself in a fight Mm. that has absolutely... The greatest trick the devil ever pulled (laughs) was these social media companies convincing us that we feel like we need to contribute. Yeah. We don't. It's that rush of blood. And then I'm always like, no one needs to hear from me. I don't need to have an opinion on this. You can just put the phone down. I had this today because the ABC, um, you know, has a bit of a new social media policy where like people have been paying attention to, you know, like things that journalists retweet or like or whatever. And they're trying to build this idea of like, you know, so you have to behave, you know, as unbiased on social media as you would be when you're presenting your program. And even though I don't technically work for the ABC, so it doesn't necessarily technically apply to me. There was a part of me today when I read that where I was like, oh, what a great excuse to just get off fucking social media <laughs> yeah. and like blame it on something else. I was like, oh, I just can't. I just can't even like things at the moment, man. It's the fucking government. They're oppressing me. I need my fucking freedom. Meanwhile, I'm like, hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> like running away from the computer, throwing my phone away going, this is the greatest. <laughs> Uh, well, let's put a pin in it. We got 11, uh, 11 feuds uh, okay. deep and there's still seven to go, but we've been going for an hour, so we can save it for next week. We can conclude our beef list. Uh, thank you um, uh, for sending that in. Uh, if you want to send us anything, you can. You can go to tofop.com. There's an easy way to contact us there. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which I keep forgetting to promote, but um, every Friday we email a newsletter, which is a sort of summary of what's been happening at Tofop during the week, and it also has links to our live show, which is... 
Fingers crossed, it's still going to be happening in November. Um, tickets are on sale. Uh, there'll be a link in the episode description below. But um, uh, our live shows are always great fun. Um, we're going to have some great guests. It'll be a, a hoot and a holler. And it'll be a great way to celebrate yeah. our defeat of COVID and the fact that climate change has been averted. Yeah, put it this way. Well, I mean, look. <laughs> I'm, I'm making big predictions. If it happens, there is a fair chance that as a country we are on top of COVID at that point. So imagine how fun that party's going to be. Haven't been able to perform live for years, like with our podcast. Haven't like we've been wanting to do like a big live show, like since our three hundredth, which was like over a year ago now. Like it's if it happens, it's going to be awesome. So buy a ticket, <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, then we'll all just commiserate together. <laughs> And while you're at tofup.com, you can check out some of our other great podcasts. Uh, we have one called Willosophy. Who's on this week, Will? Uh, oh, Luke McGregor. Um, Rosehaven is back on the ABC on Wednesday nights and on ABC iView. It's a great show, but uh, I love Luke McGregor. He's such a uh, fun person to talk to, and uh, we have a really good time. And I have posted a photo of young Luke. Uh, on my social media that he sent to me uh, because we talk about this particular photo Uh, in the episode. So if you want to know what all that is about, um, check out the photo and then uh, listen to Luke McGregor on Philosophy. Uh, It's your week on uh, Fofop. Who have you got on Fofop? Uh, One half of the Weekly Planet, Nick Maso Mason, uh, joins me on Fofop. We recorded that earlier today and it was great. It was great. We realised that... um, it's kind of like that joke in The Simpson, you know, where it's like Oates and Garfunkel go on tour. It's all the it's all the kind of sidekicks of the more famous, more successful people on the podcast decide to get together and do their own thing. Uh, and then he's one of the funniest people going around, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And then uh, Two Guys, One Cup will be out tomorrow, uh, every Thursday for Two Guys, One Cup. And if you want to uh, see us on Instagram Live, we do our tips on Thursday afternoon. And also, I'm going to be doing another Instagram Live uh, last week. It seemed to go pretty well. Um, this week, hoping to have a special guest. Can't say whether or not that's going to happen just yet. Uh, and when it's going to be will be determined by uh, this guest if they can actually do it or not. But if not, it'll just be me. It was a lot of fun last time. We'll just do a QA. and a We can talk about stuff. Um, just a bit of a, a filler to take your minds off lockdown. Uh, I've learned a um, few new songs on the ukulele. I can show you how I can play Losing My Religion on the ukulele very badly. But I've learned the chords for Losing My Religion, which seems appropriate in these end of times. I have a new TV show on the ABC. It's called Question Everything. I would love if you uh, gave it a look. Um, obviously, we're making it under lockdown conditions and no audience and, you know, a bunch of other things. So it's it's got some challenges, but I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting show to watch. So I would love if you check that out. And I do have shows, live shows on sale. Um, the ones that uh, we had to move from June are on sale still for Sydney and Brisbane in October. Look. <laughs> Even I can't really summon a lot of enthusiasm to do this particular plug because, yeah, I know. But who knows? Like, maybe. Are the tickets on sale now? Tickets are on sale. Okay. Mike, 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 put a link in the episode description along with the uh, the podcast festival one. (laughs) But with a big question mark next to both. I mean, the podcast festival's in November. Yeah. These shows are in October. So I'm, look, I'm hopeful rather than optimistic. Well, look, get vaccinated. The vaccination rates continue on this path and hopefully we'll be out of this by October. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. (laughs) 